You know, our Lord invented the ministry gifts, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And we see in Scripture just how seamlessly he navigated from one expression of a gift to another. From his exceptional prophetic explanations of the signs that will lead to the Great Tribulation to his pastoral illustrations of how we must take off the blinders and pay close attention to the season of these coming events. Hi everyone, I'm Bill Nordstrom and welcome to the program today. There are important decisions believers everywhere must begin to make about what the Word of God says from a a perspective of time. From the prophet's word of the two days of Hosea chapter 6, to John's bird's eye view of the three woes in the book of Revelation, and to our Lord's pastoral counsel, speaking in parables. The most common misconception concerning the end times is that we can't know the generation of the Lord's return. Folks, that's a really serious error. It's a, it's a misunderstanding that, that will lead to a lack of discernment within the church. Now, most of the church is very familiar with a certain scripture. This is the one. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, but only my Father. Those are the words of Jesus. So the question is, in these parables, was Jesus discouraging us from knowing the timing of his return? Or was he encouraging us to know it? The text is clear here. He was encouraging and even requiring the disciples, and by default us, to know the season and the generation of his return. We explained in our our last episode that Jesus uses the word know seven times in these verses. So we must understand the one-time verse, no one knows, in verse 36, in the context of the other six verses that say no. He desires everyone to know the prophecies, the seasons, and the timing indicators of the end of the age. Let's take a look at this misconception. Let's begin in Matthew chapter 24, verse 32. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Fig trees are not mysteries. I have friends nearby down the street who have fig trees in their yards, and about this time of year, uh, I'd like to renew some neglected communication with those dear friends and be the beneficiary of some ripe, sweet figs. All the benefits of a fig newton without the newton. You see, the blooming fig tree indicates a season. The signs Jesus just presented to his disciples in Matthew chapter 24 indicate the season of an entire planet, a timing indicator. The Lord's insisting the disciples judge these signs in the same way they'd judge a fig bloom. It's only reasonable to conclude that if the fig tree is not blooming, it's not the season. Seasons were not a mystery in the Middle East. Listen to Jesus dress down the religious community of his day in Matthew chapter 16. Then the Pharisees came testing him, asking that he would show them a sign from heaven. Now listen to Jesus' response. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you can't discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Now these are my words. 
your, your great weather forecasters for southern Israel, but you can't seem to see the obvious. It's clear the Lord is adamant about the generation of his return. Be awake. Pay close attention to what's going on around you. Verse 33 of Matthew 24. So you also, you also, when you see all these things, all the things he just explained, the birth pains, the social pressures, the the abomination of desolation, when you see all these things, know that it's near, it's at the door. So this is what we must importantly consider. Before the abomination of desolation, we won't know the time of his return. But the birth pains signal the season. Let me explain. The birth pains leading to the Great Tribulation indicate clearly a spiritual season is coming upon us. The branch of the fig tree has become tender. It's beginning to sprout leaves, which will ultimately lead to those delicious figs. In the case of Bible prophecy, it indicates a great abomination is about to take place and a great tribulation. Jacob's trouble is about to begin. Now, this is what we do know from God's Word. The Great Tribulation lasts for three and a half years. That's 42 months, 1,260 days. That, my friends, is a very clear timing indicator. When we see these things, know that it is near. No, we don't know the day or the hour, but we know that it's near. Many believe Jesus was addressing only the disciples' generation. Well, prophecy often trends in a now-but-not-yet scenario. There are prophetic activities occurring in every generation, but the Bible shows the global, all-inclusive, cataclysmic events of these prophecies have their full outworking just before his second coming. Jesus is speaking explicitly about the generation that witnesses the signs he has just explained. The generation that will not pass away is the generation that witnesses the birth pains, the social pressures, and the abomination of desolation. The generation that sees an unheard of peace in the Middle East, the resumption of ancient animal sacrifices, a rebuilt temple, that generation will witness the coming of the Lord and the end of the age. The idea Jesus was teaching the age would end in 70 AD with the destruction of Jerusalem and the massacre of a, a million Jews, that's called preterism. Some of you have heard about it. It's the view that these Bible prophecies were fulfilled way back in the past, just 40 years after Jesus actually walked the earth. Totally unwarranted and extremely dangerous teaching in the body of Christ. The text clearly points to an eschatological consummation impacting the entire earth. Jesus says heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And then there's the very popular parable of Noah and the rampant sin of his day. All the while, he was building a big boat. So why is the Lord using Noah, a Noah parable? Jesus is drawing an historical parallel between Noah's generation and the final generation. I would say our generation, 
The trends and events we see in Noah's generation will also be observable in the final generation. Widespread violence, violence, and bloodshed in Noah's day as it will be in the final generation. We see this in Genesis chapter 6. Listen to this carefully. We're going to go way back to Genesis on this. God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, The end, the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. To get specific, this is what was going on. Genesis 6.1. I'm going to go back up to the, the beginning of the chapter. It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and the daughters were born to them, that the sons of God, that's uh, an interesting phrase, isn't it? the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. There's, there's more than a little bit of perversion going on here. The sons of God that came to the earth were the disenfranchised former members of God's divine heavenly council. They violated. They violated their status and their standing in the heavens and in God's presence and came to earth. And, verse 4, there were giants on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God, those former members of God's divine council, came into the daughters of men and they bore children with them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Does any of what I just presented here just just now, does, does any of that ring a bell about contemporary behavior in our day? You know, violence in the womb, strange bedfellows, gender identity, perversions because a man wants to be a woman or a woman wants to become a man. The list is strange and it is also perverted. So at this point, you might be saying, what does all this have to do with Jesus' use of Noah's generation to speak to ours? Well, I could be very silent here for a moment while you figure that out, but nobody likes dead air on a podcast, so I'll explain. Better yet, I'll, I'll let the Word of God explain. Matthew twenty four twelve, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Daniel eight twenty three, And in the latter time of their kingdom... When the transgressors have reached their, their fullness, let me say it this way, when the perversions of today threaten even the genetics and DNA of God's humanity, the Spirit says, that's it, enough is enough. Revelation 9.21 And they did not repent of their murders, of their sorceries, of their sexual immorality, or their thefts. In other words, the killing of babies in the womb drug use, pornography, and the list goes on. Listen, just as God used Noah in his generation to save a remnant, so he'll use the church 
the Church of Jesus Christ in the final generation. The prayer movement in the final verse of Genesis 4, yep, way back in Genesis, we read that men began to call upon the name of the Lord, a prayer movement that would release the prophetic word to men like Noah. The final generation will witness the same phenomenon as the prayer movement comes to a maturity in the final and ultimate outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The prophetic movement out of the prayer movement of Noah's generation emerged prophets and seers. Out of the, out of the end-time prayer movement will come prophets and seers. Jude chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 yeah, this is New Testament scripture. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. Also, yes, those same angels that vacated their place in the heavens in Genesis chapter 6 committed abominable acts with women on the earth. Enoch prophesied, listen, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds. I think that's pretty direct. How about Peter chapter 2? For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, he's referring back to Genesis, but cast them down to hell and did not spare the ancient world, bringing the flood on the world of the ungodly, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. You see, having been warned and prepared Noah's generation was still really unaware. Here's the point. People don't know the season, not because they can't know, but because they don't want to know. Knowing changes everything, and that's what God wants to get across to us. And that's the point Jesus is making. The final generation will not be unaware because, because that's the way Jesus wants it, they will be unaware because they resisted the prophetic word going through the earth and the confirming signs and wonders. Verse 40 of Matthew 24, one taken, one left. This verse is often used to support a pre-tribulation rapture. But look at the context here. The parable is about the flood of Noah. In other words, being taken in the flood is a bad thing. It's not a good thing. The end-time crisis will come like a flood and swiftly take people away. My friend, the context is judgment, not rapture. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've given us so much to consider here. Over and over again, you demonstrate your love and your patience for your people. We only pray that we, we see the things presented to us today, respond and demonstrate at least the first three fruit of the Spirit in these critical days, love, joy, and peace. Father, let these three dynamics come to us and overtake us as we firmly set our faces toward your kingdom that we would be rooted and grounded in love, firmly fixed and established, that we would, we would know joy 
joy unspeakable and full of glory, and the peace that guards our hearts and minds and lives in Christ Jesus. Maranatha, Lord, and amen and amen. I'm Bill Nordstrom.